noses, and mouths. That'll be the highlight of today. No, not necessarily the senses themselves, but the namesake and most prominent feature of the two animals of today. Hi, I'm Deidre, a zookeeper of 10 years and the host of Weird Animal Facts Explicit, a show dedicated to the weird, odd, unusual, gross, and oftentimes disturbing facts about animals. Which is this show you're listening to? This is Weird Animal Facts Explicit. You're listening to it now. And hopefully you are of age, as this podcast is not appropriate for children. But at least most of the adult content I talk about is relating to animals, so that's that's better, right? Anyways, the two animals up today are the frogmouth and pig-nosed turtle. See, I told you, noses and mouths. And if you're confused as to what exactly we're talking about, don't worry. We'll go over it. But in the meantime, if you would like a visual to see how accurate I am at describing both animals, then go check out our Instagram or Facebook page to see images of today's animals. Now enough of the intro. Let's get on with it. Frogmouth. Imagine a Muppet. A bird Muppet. It has the large, scowling eyes of Sam the Eagle with the wide mouth of Kermit the Frog. But the Frogmouth is not a frog. It's a bird! It's about the size of Rizzo the Rat, if not smaller, and is as misunderstood as the Swedish chef. Because at first glance, you think that the frogmouth is part of the tree that it lives in, thanks to the remarkable camouflage plumage and statuesque posture that is when a predator is about. Then, on second glance, once the frogmouth relaxes, it looks like an owl. But it's not an owl. Nor is it a frog. It looks like a frog due to the Kermit-style mouth and big, bulgy eyes, and it also looks like an owl because of their rounded body. And again, those big, haunting eyes that look to be in permanent bitch face once it makes eye contact with you. Look at me, you will not. The frog mouth has spoken. The frog mouth is actually not an owl. The frog mouth is actually more related to night jars than to owls. It's now time for Actually Actual Facts with me, Ashley. Hi nerds, it's your girl Ashley here with some Actually Actual Facts about Stryceries. Alright nerds, don't lose your heads. Stryceries is actually just the clade. You know, animals with a common ancient ancestor. Like how the elephant shrew is actually more related to elephants than to shrews and are both in the same clade. Stresseries is a clade of birds that actually include quite a lot of them. Swifts, hummingbirds, nightjars, putu, oilbird, and the frogmouth. But get this, just to confuse you even more, there was actually a recent study published in 2019 that used what they call a total evidence approach, meaning like they actually looked at both DNA and fossils together. And they think that there might actually be some covergent evolution involved, and not all of these birds actually evolved from the same ancient ancestor. But the silly thing about science is that other people had to test what you tested to know for sure. Like, that's how thorough and precise science can be. So, for now, until the actual scientists decide to split up these birds' evolutionary tree even more, or not, they can all just stay in the same clade. That'll actually make things much easier for now. This has been Actually Actual Facts with me, Ashley. Thanks for playing. Bye. My thought on the matter is, 
When we think about last week's episode, the Argbark and Giant Anteater, who have pretty much the same adaptations, but yet evolved from different ancient ancestors, basically due to Pangaea's split. Since Argbargs are from Africa and Giant Anteaters are from South America, perhaps it's a regional difference that will split up the Stifer. Stiferies. Fuck, Clay, that, whatever that word I kind of said before correctly, I mean, Ashley said before, that wasn't me. But the one problem with my thought, well, with this thought, not all my thoughts, as we won't be diving into the dangers of my brain just now, but one problem with my thought is that unlike the land mammals of the Argvark and Anteater, these birds can fly. Meaning, how the hell do they know where they originated from? When do they start flying? Where do these birds fly to? Do they migrate? Does that help determine how these birds will or can be classified? This is all too much for my brain to manage at this moment. So instead of digging into the detailed science that a PhD student should be doing, instead, let's just look at the frogmouth as a species. Fun fact, there are 14 species of frogmouth birds in the world. And if you see one in a zoo, especially here in the States, you are more than likely to see the tawny frogmouth, who is native to Australia and Tasmania. Double fun fact, frogmouth species can be found from Papua New Guinea, Australia, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, China, India, Laos, Singapore, and to the Philippines. These birds like forested areas. And if you've ever seen one, a frogmouth bird, not a forest, hopefully you've seen a forest before, but if you've ever seen a frogmouth before, it should be obvious as to why they prefer forested areas. They are the envy of every hunter that has ever stepped foot into a Cabela's. When we humans try to blend in with the forest landscape, we have to spend hundreds of dollars for jackets, bibs, hats, packs, some even go so far as to camouflage tents, ATVs, and their crossbows all so that they can look like a tree. For the frogmouths of the world, they don't need the huntsman's wardrobe as their feathers are naturally tree-colored. I mean camouflaged. Camouflage is tree-colored in this instance. There's other types of camouflage, like the arctic fox. When it's white, it blends it with the snow, but we're talking about forested camouflaged. They look like a tree. And it's not that the hunters of the world or frogmouths want to look like a single tree, they simply want their image to disappear as their prey and or predator looks across the forest landscape. Unlike human hunters, who are big in comparison to the other predators of the forest, frogmouths aren't. As mentioned, the largest frogmouth species, the large frogmouth, great job at naming things, scientists, bravo. The large frogmouth is only slightly bigger than my foot is long, meaning as a small bird, they aren't just hiding from their food, they're also hiding so not to become food. This is like if human hunters had to not only hide from the deer they were hunting, but also the bear and puma that wanted to hunt them. And if you're new to hunting, don't worry, because the chances of you getting eaten by a bear or puma while sitting up in that tree stand is very slim. Not impossible, but slim. In the frogmouth's case, they have got this camouflage thing down. If you were that hunter who had to also avoid being eaten by the bear or puma, then if you saw one nearby or heard something suspicious, you would flatten your camouflage jacket real thin, lift up your nose, close your eyes, and freeze. They probably close their eyes so that the last thing they see isn't their attacker murdering them. Well, actually, they close their eyes since their eyelids blend in better with the forest than their bright yellow or orange eyes, but... Maybe it's for both reasons. 
However, though, when hunting, the frogmouth will use their eyes. Although not directly in front of their face like an owl, the frogmouth will need those eyes for hunting, as I just said, as a nocturnal slash crepuscular hunter, crepuscular, occurring or active during dawn and dusk. As a nocturnal slash crepuscular hunter, they do have decent night vision and hearing, similar to owls. And another owl similarities the frogmouth has are their wing feathers. You know how I've called owls the ninjas of the sky? Well, frogmouths are also ninjas, as they too have silent flight. Think of those toothed scissors your hairdresser uses to thin out your hair. And then they come in with those scissors at the end of your hair, giving those ends a comb-like serration, which in the frogmouth case breaks up the turbulent air so that their flight is silent and those moths, centipedes, worms, snails, spiders, and slugs don't hear what's coming until it's too late. Plus, that big Muppet mouth can be yellow on the inside and look like a flower. So if a flying little critter gets too close, those whisker-like feathers surrounding that open mouth can sense that and snap. No flight needed. Man, is all this talking about food making you hungry? What about hungry for love? Bow, chicka, wow, wow. See what I did there? That was a pretty good transition, wasn't it? <laughs> it was until you said that. Some polyandrous people will find the love life of the frogmouth weird. But from society's standards of mating, the frogmouth's love life is very much approved. Just like the ideal American family of the 50s are monogamous. 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 That's one female, mama and one male, papa. And together, they make the perfect family. And in my opinion, frogmouths are even more of the perfect family than that American dream family of the 50s, as unlike the 50s dad who would wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, eat dinner, maybe some sex, then go to bed, then do it all again the next day, all while hardly interacting with their child, the frogmouth dad pulls the same weight as the mom. Both the male and female incubate the egg. But of course, it was mom who laid the egg, so in the long run, I still think the female might have had the more difficult job. But the frogmouth male not only helps to sit on the egg, but he will also help to feed the chick. And not just by bringing home a paycheck and ignoring the children. The father frogmouth, just like the mom, will hunt and feed its babies. But then again, maybe that's why the frogmouth developed such a large mouth. So to help the man find it, all of us women who have ever known or even laid with a man know how hard it can be for a man to find something. The ketchup bottle that's in the door of the fridge, the keys that are on the nightstand, toilet paper that's under the sink, or even the clitoris. Men have proven that they need help from time to time. Because of that, perhaps that's why the frogmouth's mouth has grown to be so big. You're welcome, men. But again, this reason for the giant frogmouth is just my random theory. And I have lots of stupid theories like lizard people and how I wish I was one, as lizards are amazing. But my idea of a lizard person is more on lizard fact based than the other theories out there. How cool would it be to be an actual lizard? Okay, maybe my thought on lizard people is more of a wish than a theory, but maybe one day when science goes wrong, I too can become a lizard. Oh, but what species of lizard would I want to be? Oh, no, no, that's easier. That's easy. A horned lizard. No, a Komodo dragon. A chameleon. Alligator, which isn't a lizard, but I would love to be an alligator. Anyways, let's go back to frogmouths. 
Bird Calls with Deidre. In case you ever decided that you'd rather be a bird than a human, or even over a lizard, then consider learning how to mimic the call of a bird. In most bird identification guides, in addition to describing to you what the bird looks like, it also phonetically spells out how the sound of the bird should sound. So you know what to listen for. Or if you're me, you can mimic. But since I only have a bird book for birds in the United States, since that's where I live, we turn to the internet. According to birdsinthebackyard.net, which is an Australian-based website, the call of the tawny frogmouth should sound like a soft, deep, continuous oo-oo-oo sound. And each oo is spelt with three O's, lowercase O's. All right, so you go ahead and give it a try. Ready? Go. Great job. Now, my turn. Ooh. Ooh. No. Ooh. 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 Deeper, I think. Ooh. 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 Now, here's what the tawny frog mouth actually sounds like. How'd you do? But according to eBird.org, which is a product of Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and an app you can download, which I just did, the Sunda, Sunda, S-U-N-D-A, frogmouth, which I just fell in love with because it's so cute. It's little, big eyes with those whisker feathers all around its wide head. Oh, I just love it. Anyways, it is said that the Sunda frogmouth gives a harsh, grating caw as well as a clear whistle and a brief rolling series of harsh notes. Okay, that was a lot of description there. Let's say that again. So, it gives a harsh, grating caw. So, I'm thinking like a... Is that harsh enough? As well as a clear whistle. And a brief, rolling series of harsh notes. So, so let's put it all together. Well, I hope that sounds all right. You give it a try. I'll give you a couple seconds. All right, now here is what it actually sounds like. All right, so we might have been a little harsher than the actual bird and maybe a little bit more not quite a high-pitched whistle as they usually do without rolling. I don't know. I don't think we captured it. You might have. I did not capture that sound correctly. But you know what? I'm doing much better with the bird calls than I do with scientific names. Scientific names are hard. And since we did the calls of the tawny frogmouth and sundan frogmouth, let's go ahead and do their scientific names. I asked my roommate Emily to write on a sheet of paper the scientific names of certain animals that we talk about today, and I attempt to read them. And I do much better at bird calls than do scientific names. So, let's give us a good old college try with the tawny frogmouth. Where? Oh, she put on a giant piece of paper. Podargus strigoridus. Progardus strigoridus. 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 It looks like Italian. It's probably not. It's probably Latin, honestly. It is Latin. All right. Now we're going to the Sunda's frog mouth. 
bat raccoon back bat racco toe nope bat bat raco bat raco stomus bat raco stomus cornutus bat raco stomus cornutus bat raco stomus cornutus it's the transition song from going to one topic to the next it's the transition song so that we have no awkward silence pig-nosed turtle. Do you remember that sea turtle they found with a straw up its nose? Well, that's kind of what this turtle looks like. A turtle with two tiny straws sticking out of its nose. Is that too soon? Does that cut you deep inside? Okay, so maybe not exactly, but this turtle does have a weird-looking face. It looks like an ordinary sea turtle, but smaller and is not a sea turtle. This dude requires the purest of all water. The freshwater. But it does look like a leatherback turtle, because unlike all the other turtles of the world, this dude doesn't have a hard shell. It's soft, just like a newborn skull. Also, similar to sea turtles, the pig-nosed freshwater turtle has flippers. Which is weird, and you might not think so, as when most people think of turtles, they think of the sea turtles from Finding Nemo, but most turtles aren't living in the sea and don't have flippers. Like really, most have feet like the snapping turtles, mud turtles, mock turtles, and even the Chinese softshell turtle of the worlds, all have feet with claws for digging, not flippers for swimming, even though they all spend quite a lot of their time in water. But the weirdest thing about the pig-nosed turtle is, in fact, it's short, stout, flexible, and fleshy pig nose. More on this nose later, but first, we must ask ourselves. Could the pig-nosed turtle be the evolutionary link between the freshwater and seawater turtles of the world? Perhaps, as they are the only surviving member of their entire family. Car- Carotex- mm. Whew, this word, no. Keratocyridae. Anyways, and this branch of their evolutionary tree goes back 140 years. And since we already attempted one word, let's go ahead and just do the scientific names and get that out of the way. Scientific names are hard. Here is the scientific name of the pig-nosed turtle. Oh, what do you know? It's that same word I tried saying earlier with a Y at the end and an S. Kerto... Kertoxalis insolpta. This brings me so much stress. I don't know if you've ever had to do something that you think is silly and fun, but you're still just like, ah, 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 so much anxiety and crazy. I hate it. I'm done. Now, if you want to give this a try, in the show notes, episode description, I write out every scientific name that I attempt to read so you can actually know what it is I'm trying to say, because I know I don't make it easy. I try to, though. I am phonetically reading this out, just like they teach you in kindergarten school. Moving on. As a relic, the pig-nosed turtle stands alone. Yes, it is a freshwater turtle, but it is very unique. As stated, it has flippers like sea turtles. And that soft shell, which is also weird considering scientists already have a family of soft shell turtles, that does not include this pig-nosed turtle. Why? Like, why would they separate these two animals when they're very similar? Well, it could be due to the regions that they're found in. 
because most of the world's soft-shelled turtles, who I should also mention have claws as feet, can be found in Africa, Asia, and North America. While our pig-nosed turtle is found in fresh waters of North Australia and Southern New Guinea. And since the pig-nosed fossil records are so old, as in all other turtles of the world evolved from other turtles, it leaves the pig-nosed turtle a weird loner. Fun fact, in 2015, a fossil of a turtle with a pig snout was found in Utah. That's in the US, by the way. But it belonged to an extinct family of turtles, so no more related to this pig-nosed turtle we're talking about today than you are to a chimpanzee. Double fun fact, our pig-nosed turtle, the one we're talking about today, also goes by the Fly River Turtle because it can be found in the Fly River. But pig-nosed turtle is weirder and that's what we're all about here. Weirdness rules! Let's take a few moments to focus in a bit more on that weird nose and ask why. Why does it have that ridiculous nose? Can they smell underwater? After all, when we think about a pig's nose or even an aardvark's, that's what their pig snout is for, for smelling. Can a turtle smell underwater? Yes, turtles will have a minimal sense of smell under the water thanks to something called a barbell. Think of barbells like the whiskers on a catfish. Some turtles will have obvious barbells, while our pig-nosed turtle friend does not. They don't have it. Some turtles do, but this one doesn't. But instead of using the barbells, the pig-nosed turtle uses their pig nose. Yep, that pig nose is actually very good at smelling. It helps them find food and helps them breathe. Not underwater. They don't have gills, so they can't breathe underwater. They have to breathe air. Just like you and me, they come to the surface to breathe air. Even though we're always at the surface because we don't really go in the water as much as a pig-nosed turtle does. But for an aquatic turtle like our pig-nosed turtle, coming up to the surface can be dangerous. As air and land mammals could see you and then eat you. So not to be seen and to keep hidden, that pig-nose will move. Instead of how other aquatic turtles are forced to lift most of their head up above the water to breathe, the pig-nose of the pig-nosed turtle will rotate so it can reach the surface and allow air in, just like a snorkel. Where we can all agree that the visual and functionality of the pig nose is weird, one thing that you may not be able to see is the weirdness of their babies. For most animals, such as humans, after the lovemaking and fertilization happens is when the sex of the baby is determined. Now, we may not know what the sex of the baby is until the ultrasound shows a penis or not, but biologically speaking, the baby is already on its way into creating little boy or little girl parts well before we even know what it is. But that's not the case for the pig-nosed turtle and many turtles, fish, some lizards, and all crocodilian species. What determines their baby's sex is the temperature. Imagine you and your partner talked and decided it would be much better financially to have a boy instead of a girl. After all, most girls require makeup, tampons, pads, not to mention girls are smarter, meaning you'll have to start saving 10 years ago for their college fund. But instead of leaving the will it be a boy or girl debate up the chance, all you had to do was to lower the temperature of the uterus just a smidge. Then voila, you have a dumber, less expensive boy. Disclaimer. There is no scientific evidence that states having a boy will be cheaper financially than having a girl. Unless it's a boy cat, because cats don't cost as much as kids. End of disclaimer.
Uh, but how would temperature decide gender? And what if the turtle is gender fluid? Well, since we can't just straight up ask a turtle how they identify as, we're going with biology. Sperm equals boy, ova or egg equals girl. For the reptiles and fish, whose gender is determined by temperature, it has to do with an enzyme that controls the sex steroids. Aromathesis. Aromathesis. Aromatase. Aromatase. Basically, if the temperature is warmer, then that triggers aromatase to produce more female hormones, which gives us more biological females. Where cooler temperatures, the aromatase will develop more male hormones, creating more biological males. And the reason why I say more is because most reptiles and fish lay multiple eggs. And depending on the construction of the nest, the outside temperature, the eggs could all be at different temperatures. Meaning, you'll get different genders. But if the temperature of the eggs is between the range of higher temperature, which gives us more females, and lower temperature, which gives us more males, then the eggs have a pretty even chance of developing into either a male or a female. 50-50! And then when we think about global warming, which is real, you can see how this could be a threat to endangered species. Well, to this endangered species. And yes, that's right. This weird nose turtle is endangered. And if temperatures are too high, then they could only have females. And even though there are some animals who don't need a male to make babies, at this time, the pig nose turtle does. But right now, it's not the higher temperature that has placed this animal on the endangered species list. It's poaching of eggs, in combination with a few other factors. This turtle has been known to live into their 30s, but doesn't reach sexual maturity until they're at least 15. Then, when they do mate, it's every few years, not every year. Basically, in order to keep up with the poacher's demand for eggs, these turtles need to be fucking a whole lot more. But since we just can't start playing sexy turtle porn with kinky music out over top the rivers of northern Australia and southern New Guinea, the next best thing is for you to donate to conservation efforts. Launched by the Zoological Society of London, EDGE of Existence is a global conservation initiative that focuses on helping threatened species that represent a significant amount of unique evolutionary history, such as the Attenborough long-beak echidna, Chinese giant salamander, pig-nosed turtle, and many, many more. If you'd like to help out these species and more, click on the link in the show notes. Then, find your way over to their donation page so that you can help save an evolutionary important animal. And if you aren't in the position to donate money, then the next best thing that you can do is spread the word. By teaching others about the pig-nosed turtle or really any animal that you fell in love with will result in creating more caring people who will want to help and save animals of this world. It may not seem like much, but a short conversation with a friend, family member, or even a stranger at a bar could result in the ultimate step needed to help protect this world we all call home. And hey, if you send them to this podcast, more props to you. And for those of you who are new, please rate and review this show wherever you are listening. And I can't wait to share even more weirdness with you next time. Stay weird. <laughs>